Hello, I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. Thanks so much for joining me for this special edition of She Said, She Said podcast via Zoom. This is our first Zoom podcast, so bear with us as we get started here. For those who haven't joined us before, the goal of She Said, She Said is to bring you inspiring stories, insights, and advice from a broad range of women who are tackling life and having a positive impact on others. What I think is most valuable to you, my friends and my listeners, the women that I talk to share candid perspective in an effort to pay it forward. They're working to help the rest of us, no matter what our journey or our path may be. And my guest tonight is no exception. She is my friend and my personal physician. She's the brilliant Dr. Lucy McBride. Lucy is a doctor of internal medicine whose practice is here in Washington, DC. She trained at Harvard Medical School and also Johns Hopkins. She, her practice is internal medicine, but it's focused on treat, treatment of the whole person, something that she refers to as the four corners of health. Lucy joined me on She Said, She Said podcast really when we first launched back in episode 25. If you download that episode from the website www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com, you'll hear more about Lucy's personal story and her journey. We probably won't get to that in our conversation tonight. Right now, like so many healthcare providers, Lucy is actually on the front lines fighting COVID-19 or coronavirus. She recently launched a terrific website, www.lucymcbride.com, to help provide honest, straightforward answers to questions about this virus. Today, Lucy's joining me here on Zoom, as I said, to talk about her experience. And we're also going to talk about mental health in the context of social isolation and social distancing measures. So many of you were kind enough to send me thoughts and questions in advance of this conversation tonight. So we'll work to get through as many of those as we can. But with that, Lucy, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm really, really delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I'm delighted to have you and thank you so much for all that you are doing for so many people out there, not just as it relates to your own practice, but also helping to get really good practical information out to people. So why don't we start with that? First off, talk to us about what you're seeing on the front lines. What's really going on out there that people may not understand who are not in the healthcare profession? Sure. So as you know, Laura, I am a primary care doctor. I see patients every day. Um, and the way that I'm on the front line, as you called it, is that I am the medical home for my patients. I'm the first person people call when they don't feel well, which is honestly my greatest honor and privilege to be that person in my patient's life. Um, I'm not on the front line in the sense of I'm not in the ER or the ICU. Yet, of course, I could be called to duty there and I'm ready to do so. But the way that I'm on the front line right now is that I'm managing patients who have coronavirus, who are sick with coronavirus, either at home and managing their symptoms on their own or in the hospital. I'm just not physically in the hospital yet. Um, so what am I seeing? 
I'm seeing, as you know, all the symptoms of coronavirus play out in so many different people in different ways. It can present in myriad different ways in different people. And as I have said on my social media feeds, um, at this moment in time, we need to assume that any respiratory symptoms you have are coronavirus until proven otherwise because it is so darn prevalent right now. So that's what I'm seeing. And I'm seeing a lot of sore throats, cough, shortness of breath, stuffy noses, and, and, and other manifestations. In fact, um, the gastroenterology expert groups have come out saying that, that diarrhea can be a presenting symptom of, of coronavirus, but it's a mostly respiratory illness. The other thing I am seeing, and this is really um, important for me to mention, is I'm seeing you know, that even if people are not infected with coronavirus or suspected to be infected with coronavirus, most people are under extreme stress. People are worried, people feel very vulnerable, they feel helpless, they are scared, and then they're isolated in their homes because they're either self-quarantining or they are caring for someone who's self-quarantining and they're trying to avoid getting sick if they're not already. So what I'm trying to do in my practice with my patients and then with my new kind of social media presence is to help my own patients manage their physical symptoms to guide them about best practices and um, you know public health information and distill into you know action items what I'm hearing from hospitals, public health officials. I've been talking to City Councilwoman Mary Che in DC here, and I've been talking to my colleagues all around the, 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 the country about what's happening. And, and I'm trying to then give that information to my patients so they have action items. So they can do X, Y, Z, A, B, C for their physical symptoms. And equally important, here's what you can do to help with the emotional distress that most people are experiencing. Yeah. Why don't we back up for just a second? Sure. I'd love for you to provide just a bit more detail around the symptoms of this. How, how does this compare to the flu? There have been a lot of comparisons made. It's much more contagious than the flu. That's right. But how does it compare in terms of, you know, you have the cough, the sore throat, the fever, but with the flu, typically you just feel like you just feel awful, really. Yeah, really most awful. people describe when they have the flu, and they're in my office. They say they feel like they've been hit by a truck. Yes, like the 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 gas has been taken out of their engine. Mm -hmm. um, and coronavirus has a much longer prodrome, which is the word for you know lead up to the the sort of most severe symptoms. Even though some of the some of the time people don't have severe symptoms. Right. But whereas flu is more of a sudden onset of body aches, fever, and just generalized, I feel like, you know, terrible. Mm -hmm. um, coronavirus has more of a long lead up or prodrome. And so, you know, what does it look like? I mean, some people are having, you know, just a runny nose and a sore throat. And some people are starting with, starting to have that, some people are having that for a couple of days and then they develop a cough and then they develop a bigger cough and then they develop the body aches and then they develop the fever and then they develop, you know, breathing issues. But some people, as you probably have read about, are presenting with just mild symptoms that you might confuse with a cold. Right. Or you might confuse with seasonal allergies. I mean, this is allergy season. I'm looking at the cherry blossoms right at my window right here. And when you're inhaling those cherry blossoms and sneezing and coughing, you could get very worried um that that's coronavirus and indeed it could but 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 what i'm saying is that coronavirus mimics 
a whole lot of other things we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, talk about what you're hearing currently, and I recognize that as we're recording this, we're getting more and more information, new information all the time. So this information is changing. We're recording today. It's Sunday, the 22nd, around six o'clock in the evening. We're hoping to get this posted really quickly. But talk about what you currently know about reinfection. So a person who's had or been diagnosed with coronavirus or thinks they have the virus, what are the chances that they can get it again? So the chances are not zero, um, but the chances are uh, just the nature of virology and the study of viruses is what would suggest to most people who study science and facts, as I try to do, um, that you're less likely to get reinfected if you've already had it, which is obviously the definition of reinfection. Um, but what I'm saying is, I don't think people necessarily need to worry so much about getting reinfected as they do about getting infected in the first place. Mm -hmm. There is this um, phenomenon that happens with viruses where they can mutate and then we can get another round of coronavirus that could happen like the seasonal flu comes around again and again. But we are going to, for our own mental health right now, table that conversation until we have more data from China and from Italy to know how to prevent that second wave and try to stop it in its tracks. We're not tabling it. We're just, we don't, I don't want to scare people right this minute. We're, we're actively working on that. But what I'm saying is that is possible, but that's, that's not reinfection. That's a, that's, that's the virus mutating. And that's yeah. perhaps going to happen as the seasons roll forward. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk a bit about social distancing measures. Sure. And really what makes, why they're so important and what makes them more effective versus less effective. Sort of stating the obvious, right? If you don't right. do them, they're going to be less effective. But right. talk about what percentage of the population really needs to be on board with social distancing in order to have the desired effect versus having this sort of play out over a longer period of time, perhaps? So what I'm saying to my patients and what I'm saying on my social media feeds and on my website and what I am directly communicating with city government officials in DC is that the more we socially isolate and the more we stop non-essential engagement in public life, the sooner we will control this virus and first, the, the less we'll be spreading the virus. So in my humble opinion right now, we should not be doing anything in the public that's not essential. So I'd be lying if I said I didn't go get my hair dyed a week ago when it wasn't essential, it's arguable. Um, but would you do it today? I wouldn't do it today. I wouldn't do it today. Moreover, I don't think that the hairdresser should be open because my hairdresser is in contact with people you know, all day long who could be carrying the virus. So my point is that the more we isolate and the more we, you know, socially distance, the better shot we have at what people are calling flattening the curve. So we know a lot of things and a lot of data from other places where this virus has, has hit. And we know that the best way to prevent the damage from this virus is to isolate. Mm -hmm. What about things like getting food delivered, right? I mean, that's 
perhaps for some people, maybe an essential thing for my family. I mean, we've always gotten a lot of food delivered. I probably shouldn't admit that publicly, but we do. Uh, we spend a lot of time with our Domino's pizza delivery guy because I have two little children who love right. pizza. So how, should I be worried about delivery services or how do we take appropriate precautions? Because I'm also weighing the economic consequences of not continuing to engage in those particular behaviors that would have an economic impact on the people that kind of have relied on us for our business. Right. So talk Absolutely. about how, how we should think about that, how, how worried we should be or how we should protect ourselves. And well, that, let's remember the basics here that we have needs as human beings, right? We have needs. We have, we need to eat, we need to sleep, we need, we need to move our bodies and we need to be in communication with other people for our mental health and for our work. Um, and work, I would look at as an essential function as well. I mean, most people need to work to survive. So if you think about those basic um, things that we need as humans, a lot of those things are compromised right now, right? You can't go to the gym. So you have to exercise by doing jumping jacks in your bathroom. Right. Um, you can't um, go to the grocery store as, as, as comfortably as you'd like because who knows who you're gonna be in contact with and who knows if you're carrying the virus yourself and gonna spread it to some un unknowing person. Right. Um, you know, in terms of sleeping, like, I mean, forget about it. Who's sleeping well right now? Certainly not me. Um, and then working, you know, it's, it's extremely difficult. And this goes into the mental health challenges we're facing. It's extremely difficult for people to go to work. And importantly, as you mentioned, so many people are unable to work. So many people are getting laid off. So many people are unemployed now. And so many people are worried to pieces about how they are going to get through this epidemic pandemic you know with 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 a penny in their pocket mm -hmm. um so the bigger point the the question you're trying to ask me i think and the point i would make is that i think we really just need to use our good common sense i mean we all have um hopefully some decent common sense and i would say to people who are are weighing the option of going to the grocery store versus getting food delivered um you got to think of where that food is coming from do you do you trust them um how many hands have touched the food and at the end of the day you've got to eat so unless you're growing vegetables in your garden and you have a cow roaming around in your backyard that you can you know do what you will with not anymore um, <laughs> you've got to eat so it's you just got to use your good common sense about what's what's the biggest risk to you is it is it going to the grocery store and touching all the stuff that you're tempted to buy or is it handing being handed a domino's pizza box and feeling comfortable that only one person touched it and then you wash your hands and you you know you know you enjoy that pepperoni does that make sense that makes perfect sense it makes perfect sense yeah like, and then you know, yeah I, I see delivery people too taking extra precautions you know we're all getting emails from every vendor of any kind that we've ever done business with including food vendors so in our case a lot of dominoes but the dominoes guy shows up with his with his handy uh, dispenser of hand sanitizer and squirts me and squirts himself before he even opens the bag which <laughs> makes me feel a little better i don't know whether right. it really matters well, um, frankly frankly the person i feel worse for in that in that encounter is the Domino's pizza worker because he or she is probably making not a lot of money and they if they don't if they don't work they don't get paid and then they can't feed their own family so 
the hardest thing is for these workers who you know provide provide services for us in our regular lives that are not completely essential so i would argue that that the dominoes and other food places you know would would really think hard about whether or not they're a true true value to society maybe what would be better i'm just thinking about this off the top of my head would be for people to start growing their own vegetables but i mean lord have mercy who has time for that not to, mention, not to mention doesn't it take a couple of months for like a carrot to grow i mean yes. i don't know but anyway um grocery stores need to stay open right. because that's where we get food and that's where but but the food delivery thing i mean you just got to use your judgment and mm -hmm. and and pray for those people who are in the service industry is delivering those those services yeah yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, um, Lucy, let's let's shift okay. and talk about the mental um, and psychological aspect. Great. That's my this. that's my favorite subject. I know. As you know, I know. I, as you know, I'm a I'm a firm believer in integrating mental health and physical health to best improve outcomes. Not only am am I as a doctor someone who believes in have, helping you live longer, but also live better and including mental health in the doctor's office, in my opinion, is really the best way to deliver meaningful health care. So shoot, I love these questions. Yeah, okay. So we are in very uncertain times to say the least. It is incredibly stressful. We, our routines have been disrupted. We don't know what the future looks like. There's a lot of uncertainty. It's very, very scary. Talk a bit about how you're recommending that patients manage stress and anxiety. What's the best way to deal with this? Okay, a couple of things I would recommend off the top of my head, and these thoughts have been put in writing, as I said, on my stuff. Right. Okay, number is one is- just, your, just, to, just to reiterate, your website is www.lucymcbride.com, and you also send out a person who subscribes to the website can also subscribe to an email that's right there's a i'm sending out a newsletter and i'm putting a lot of things on facebook instagram twitter and i think linkedin as of today if yeah. my media gal is is doing her job which she is amazingly well yeah so so you can get the links to uh to lucy's uh instagram page and her facebook page and all this good stuff through both the website and you can also follow me and get them through me as well so yes talk about and everybody should listen to laura too because laura is 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 amplifying the voices of incredible women and i love your podcast and you. now we can go back to the regularly scheduled program thank you <laughs> love fest is over love fest is over <laughs> okay okay so talk about some of those strategies recognizing that you really can't disconnect the health sort of the symptomatic piece from the emotional psychological piece this is a really challenging component of what we're dealing with right now so what do you how, what are you recommending to people in terms of managing stress and anxiety and also a, a very specific question how do you know when you need help under circumstances like this where you could feel really guilty about there's so many people suffering who am i to complain about my circumstances so right a little right bit about all those well that's a let me start with that i mean first of all we're all human at the end of the day i mean we we are wired for survival as human beings i mean that's in our dna is to is to live and to survive um and so it's only natural during an incredibly stressful time like we're in to feel more anxious more worried more nervous 
and also to have physical symptoms of anxiety, like sweaty palms, rapid heart rate, you know, um, chest pounding. Some people are having, you know, jitteriness and sleeplessness. And, and so no matter who you are, no matter where you live, it is natural to feel anxious and vulnerable and to need some guidance on that. So I don't think anybody should feel guilty for being anxious because anxiety is only natural. Um, what, what to do about it is, 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 is what I'm going to say. There's no prescription, right, for anxiety. If I had a magic pill for that, that would be amazing. Um, but the things I'm recommending to patients and to then a wider audience are, 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 are pretty simple. Um, I talked about my version of STEM. You know STEM, like science, technology, engineering, and math? Mm -hmm. Well, my version of STEM that I came up with actually last week is sleeping. We need sleep. Sleep is the balm. <laughs> and if you can't sleep well, try melatonin. Try a meditation app. Try breathing and stretching before you go to bed. And then call your doctor if you're really having a hard time. That's S. T is talking to other people. So talking to your loved ones, virtually, of course. Like this. Yeah. Right, like this. Talking to your friends, reaching out to your loved ones, people you haven't connected with in decades. I've been talking to a friend of mine from medical school up at Harvard that I haven't talked to in ages, and it's so gratifying to reach out to her, and it's honestly reassuring to know that she's there for me, and I think vice versa. Um, so talking to other people and talking to a therapist, if you have one, if you're fortunate enough to have one, and if you don't, consider going online to find someone to talk to who is a trained therapist. So, you know, a lot of my therapy colleagues who do amazing work every day in person are now virtual, mm -hmm. and people are stepping up, coaches, therapists, you know, guidance counselors in communities are, are, are very much trying to be available to whomever they can reach. Mm -hmm. um, so S is sleeping, T is talking, E is exercise. No, it's not, sorry, E is eating. <laughs> sorry, E is- I could probably e is do more exercising than eating, but yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so E is eating. So you, you need to eat. I mean, if you're, uh, let me just say first that of course there are people who do not have enough food and I feel I, my heart aches for people who for example, use the public school system for their meals and are not going to be eating enough. Um, eating is an essential human need. And when people are under stress, they often forget to eat. They often overeat. They binge on the box of cookies that's in the cupboard and there's nothing else to do. So they eat the whole thing. Um, but we need to think about how we're eating and, and if we're eating enough and just, just making sure we, we try to eat healthy because I can guarantee you that when we're through this pandemic, which we will be, there are going to be a lot of people in my office being like, oh man, I gained the coronavirus, you know, 50 or the coronavirus 10. Anyway, there's no shame in gaining weight during a stressful time, but just be aware that what you eat is going to inform your health. Sure. So, so that's the, the S is sleeping, the, the T is talking, the E is eating, and then M is moving. But we need to move. We cannot just sit still. You can't go to the gym, but you can do jumping jacks in your kitchen. 
you can go out in nature. You can walk in nature. Nature is there for us. The earth is a very forgiving and loving place and we can get outside. We can connect with the birds and the flowers and the sense of smell in the air of the spring. And that can provide a lot of solace. Um, but exercise, of course, everybody knows exercise is good for you. So, and then can I also have an, a, a, little, a little asterisk on M? So moving also to me implies action and action means activism. Mm -hmm. So everybody, no matter if you're a CEO, a pizza delivery truck dri delivery driver, or a stay at home mom, whoever you are, you can make a difference in this whole pandemic by taking action. And so what's awesome is I'm seeing this, that I'm, I'm somehow been able to galvanize a community of people who are otherwise sitting at home, anxious, watching the news, fretting, fearful, and, you know, frankly, helpless, think broadly about what they can do to contribute. For example, I have a whole community of people now thinking of, of, of where they hid those construction masks they had for their renovation their basement that they can then donate to the front lines right. for doctors. You're not pointing any any fingers over here thank you right <laughs> oh no um and then i and then and then there are people who have 3d printers and i was able to activate some local high schools to say hey my chemistry lab is i reminded them their chemistry lab is down for now because they're no students could they donate some of that protective gear to people on the front lines now there's some there's some problems with that because as I'm gonna talk about tomorrow yeah. on MSNBC, um, there are strict requirements, of course, with what kind of protective gear doctors can use. We can't right. just use any protective gear. We don't wanna just wing it, right? Mm -hmm. So there's some problems there, and, and, but I'm hoping that's gonna be ironed out. My, back to the original point, which is action and movement. So movement includes physical action, but mo movement also means doing something. And guess what? Doing something is good for your mental health. Yeah. So when you do something, when you do something like bring a meal to your elderly neighbor who can't get out, mm -hmm. when, you, um, when you lend a helping hand in your community in some way, when you, you know, find your friend with a 3D printer to get the formula to then print 3D masks mm -hmm. and then connect with me and to get, up, get them up to Hopkins as I'm trying to do, I mean, that feels good. Yeah. So those are, my, those are my best pieces of advice for soothing your mental health. And then if you are really struggling, if you are really, really struggling, always call your doctor. I mean, my dream is that we live in a world where your doctor is able to feel those kind of calls from you and not just calls about my sore, your sore throat and your earache. Yeah. Um, so that's my best advice for now. Yeah. So, so I have several follow-up questions. Yeah. What, one is, on the activist point, um, knowing how to help people and not make the situation worse. So for taking meals to the elderly, it's a lovely thing to do, but how do you do that so that you stay safe and more importantly, they stay safe? Because they're- Well, I think, I think it's about, I think, you know, I think this, this moment in time is also about, you know, doing the best job we can. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like in a perfect world, a meal would fall out of the sky for this elderly person who can't get to the grocery store and doesn't have the money to order, you know, takeout food. Mm -hmm. But but we just need to abandon this notion that 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 it has to be exactly right mm -hmm. and do the best job we can. I think it's extraordinary to me to view people and to see to see people, 
you know, just doing what they can do. Like, right. you know, the PTA moms are activating the PTA. The chemistry teachers are activating the chem labs. You know, the people who can write are writing. People are just using their skills. So my yeah. point is that I don't think you want to make, what's the expression? You don't want to make the perfect the enemy of the good, right? right? So if you can, you know, use extra care to prepare or, or, or have this meal, and deliver the food, you know, as best you can to this person and they wash their hands, you know, eating for that person is probably, probably is, 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 is a, is a better need. It's, I'm not saying that it's worth getting coronavirus for it, right. but, but the, the, the benefits are going to weigh out, out, out they're going to outweigh the potential risks. Right. You do it with, you know, common sense. Mm -hmm. Sure. I also hear you saying, we really need to think creatively and think outside the box. While outside the box. Smart and practical. Don't That's take it. unnecessary risks, but you really do need to think creatively about what are the resources that you have, what are the skills that you have, and how might you deploy them differently. Is that fair? That's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, healthcare workers, for example, you know, it is our privilege and it's our duty to serve patients. Healthcare workers right now are also being asked to be, you know, um, advocates for you know bigger populations like what right now what I'm doing is using my platform as a you know doctor in the community to take the lessons I've learned over the 20 years I've been practicing and take the the the, the knowledge I have from my you know medical colleagues and public health ex experts and to distill it into you know digestible pieces of information for for, for patients and for whoever else can listen it's not just me though. Right. Doctors are being asked to do much, much more than ever. People are being called out of retirement. Doctors are being called out of retirement to be to serve to serve patients. Right. And so, it's not just doctors. Everybody can lend a hand. I mean, I'm watching my teenagers. It's kind of amazing. And by the way, there are some silver linings to this, you know, crazy time. But I'm watching my teenagers, who you know, whose path to least resistance is usually screen time. <laughs> come up with these amazing ways to pitch in, help out, and get creative, and do things that, frankly, they would never do if they didn't have, you know, the situation. I'm not saying that's a good thing that we have the situation, but you can individually and as a community, you can make good, mm -hmm. and you can do, you can, you can, you can do a lot of, of good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's try to jump into, Lucy, if we could, some of the specific crowdsource questions Okay, uh, sure. One relates to a mother who wrote in when we asked for folks to submit questions to you about a daughter who's six who has a pre-existing asthmatic condition. Is she at greater risk um, given her medical history or sort of respiratory issues and asthma? And also I think she has some underlying allergies as well. Um, is she at greater risk or is a child that has respiratory issues at greater risk of I mean te technically technically yes but of course it depends on the individual situation first of all there there there's so many degrees of of severity of allergies and asthma mm -hmm. um, but let me first just give a piece of calm reassurance that kids are doing really, really well when they get this virus. So mm -hmm. even if a child with asthma who's six, you know, gets the virus, the odds are 
way in her favor that she will recover completely and do just fine. Mm -hmm. You know, most kids with asthma, if they get a respiratory virus like the flu or, or, you know, some other rhinovirus or adenovirus that we see every year, they will, you know, be sick a little bit longer. They'll need their inhaler for, you know, a couple more days than, than, than a person who is wheezing just for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. um, but, but again, I just want to say that most kids are doing just fine. The biggest problem with kids is that they are, are doing fine and therefore they don't feel sick enough to isolate themselves from their right. friends. Yeah. And um, that, that I think is like a parenting challenge, um, not to mention a public health challenge. Sure, it's hard for them to understand. So, so another question that I had from another mom who's in North Carolina is concerned because she's two children, son and a daughter. The daughter is older, 13. She's very involved, you know, engaged in social media. She's talking to her friends, she's texting, she's, she's engaged. Yeah, but a little boy who's about eight doesn't have those same mechanisms, and he may not be as comfortable sort of sharing his feelings or even know that he's anxious. So she's worried right. about his anxiety level, but not quite sure how to how to attack how to tackle that. That's a great. That's a that's actually such a good question. Um, um, the first thing I might do is if you have a good relationship with your pediatrician, is to call the pediatrician and get your 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 personal pediatrician's advice on that because you know, good pediatricians often have resources at their fingertips um, and, and advice. But if, uh, as a general matter, um, I think you're right. It's very hard to tell when little ones are anxious. And moreover, it's hard when they're anxious or if you, if you suspect they're anxious, anxious, it's hard to access their feelings. It's hard for them to verbalize how they feel. And then what do you do? I mean, I think what you can do as a parent in a, in a very broad way is just yourself manage your own anxiety. So if you are managing your anxiety well with some of the tools I mentioned earlier, and you are practicing what I'm calling calm vigilance, where you are, you know, helping your community, or if you can't help your community and you can only, you know, help, help, help your family, that's fine too. But if you, if you could just be calm, manage your own anxiety and provide reassurance for the kids, that goes a long way. You know, mm -hmm. kids look to their parents for cues um, and when they see mom and dad hand-wringing and worrying and digesting all of this news and walking around pacing, you know, the kids, the kids feel that and they feel it more than ever because we are all in the same space. <laughs> right, right. On top of each other. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. How about, there's been some conflicting information and I think you've written about this on the website and in your emails about ibuprofen. Yeah. And sort of confusion about that. You should air yeah. of Tylenol, not ibuprofen, but is that still the case? Yeah. I mean, the data is, 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 is not entirely clear. And let me just explain that, that what we've seen is that patients who are already infected with coronavirus, and this is more older patients, but, but it applies to anyone, we think, are having worse clinical outcomes if they are taking ibuprofen when they are infected with coronavirus. Hmm. So to be clear, ibuprofen doesn't invite the coronavirus. It doesn't make you more susceptible to getting sick. But if you have coronavirus, and again, we sometimes don't know if we have coronavirus because we can't get a test, it is re recommended to pick Tylenol over ibuprofen. If you have to use ibuprofen, it's okay. Like it's not, it's not gonna, you know, it's not like ibuprofen and coronavirus are meeting in your body and gonna combust you internally. Um, 
you know, it's, it's not like that. It's just, it's, it's just a best practices for now with the understanding that the data is shifting and evolving and, and minute to minute things are changing, but that's my best advice for now. Pick Tylenol. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's super helpful. Okay. So a question from Christine, who's in the DC Metro area about concerns related to the coronavirus for people with autoimmune disease oh, yeah. because they take Yes. To suppress their immune system. So right. talk a little bit about, you have a perspective on that. Yeah, no, that's, that's um, so someone who's on an immune suppressant drug like Remicade or, you know, Lialda or some of these other medications, Embrel, mm-hmm. um, you know, those are patients who we consider more high risk, not of, 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 uh, of, you know, so, so they are higher risk. And that is obviously very worrisome to people. So what I'm telling my patients who are on immune suppressants is to, first of all, weigh the risks and the benefits of you being on that medication right now. For example, I have a patient who has psoriatic arthritis who takes um, a biologic, basically an immune suppressant for her psoriatic arthritis. And she's done well and she's, and she's great. But she decided because she lives in a very close quarters with a lot of people at her home and she can't afford to like stay in a hotel by herself, she's going to temporarily stop her medication just in case. Now, that is not a general recommendation for everybody out there. I do not recommend stopping your, auto, your, your immune medications. But for this woman in particular, I, mean, I we, we decided carefully that she would stop it because number one, her symptoms of psoriatic arthritis are very, they're, they're not that bad to her. And she said, I'd rather have the symptoms than risk getting coronavirus. In general though, I think most people are deciding to stay on their, on their immune suppressants with the understanding that they would, they would probably stop it if they got infected. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So I'm not, just to remind, I'm not giving anybody, you know, specific medical advice. This Absolutely. is all general in nature. Um, and I'm just giving an example of a patient, but I would say the majority of my patients were continuing them on their immune suppressants. And then with the understanding that we will probably take them off if they get the virus, but that will be a game time decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know you also wrote recently about um, blood pressure medication and potential complications right. with that. Talk a little bit about what, you're, what, what current evidence you're seeing currently. So there's some there's some decent evidence out there um, that um, the class of blood pressure medications that we call ACE inhibitors mm-hmm. um, can upregulate or can basically increase your 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 um, your chances of doing not as well if you're infected with coronavirus. Um, so it's an individual discussion with your doctor. Um, you know the downside of taking someone off of an ACE inhibitor is if you know, when they can't go in to get their blood pressure checked, um, the, the downside of just stopping your medication cold turkey is that your blood pressure goes up and guess what high blood pressure does put people at higher risk for bad outcomes from coronavirus. So yeah. this is a very, very carefully made decision between patient and doctor. Um, but in, in, in general, I do believe some of the data that's coming out, but the American Heart Association came out saying right now it's not standard to take people off. But again, it's an individual discussion for you and your doctor. Sure. 
Sure, makes perfect sense. Okay, from uh, my friend in North Carolina whose daughter's 13 and she's an excellent seamstress, she wants to start making medical masks per the instructions that are provided on the internet. Right. Um, raises a question about how reliable those instructions are. Is that worth the trouble? Can she actually create something that could be usable? Or what's your advice in that regard? So first of all, I want to congratulate any 13-year-old who's who's sewing and making things instead of sitting on um, her screen. I think it's awesome. Um, so industrious, so important. And that's an example of like an, a, a community activist in the making or already happening. So, but but um, the point you're 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 making or you're asking is is an interesting one. Um, right now, the we, we want people to, you know, mobilize their stuff and their smarts and their equipment to help get protective gear. It's called PPE, personal protective equipment, to people on the front lines, doctors, nurses, physicians, assistants, medical personnel. Um, but the problem we're having is that, as I think I said in the beginning, there, there are standards, there are quality control issues that have to be met in order for doctors to be able to use those pieces of equipment. So we can't just take any old mask that's in your basement from your renovation. We can't just take any old mask that's printed off a 3D printer because there are standards and we don't want to wing it. At the same time, you know, I, I don't want to negatively forecast, but there may come a time in 10 days, two weeks, a month, six months, where we are like, you know what, we'll take whatever we can get because we can't get the real, you know, top of the line stuff and we just need to do whatever we can get. So, you know, I think, I think the spirit of um, activism is awesome. And I think, I think that we need to just pay close attention to what we can actually use in the hospitals right this minute um, and, and go from there. I want you to put a finer point on something that you just yeah. said. Six months is a fairly horrifying number for, I think, everybody. Right. How do we make sure that, it's, that it is indeed two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, something along those lines, as opposed to something like six months, which is quite terrifying? I have a very simple answer for that. It's social distancing, hand washing, and shutting cities down basically what that means is ending all non-essential public engagement. So the more we can distance ourselves from other people, but still not be afraid to go to the supermarket to buy soup and bread, um, the sooner this is gonna be over. Yeah. Okay, that's very helpful. Um, how about, Lucy, just, you know, the, the social media is great, it's a great uh, platform for connecting to people, for sharing information. But the downside is that sometimes people share information that is not reliable and frankly oh, yeah. would be harmful. So give your best advice for how people should uh, verify sources, verify information as to whether it's correct, sort of distill the truth from the fiction. Well, thank you for asking that, Laura, because that's actually, one of my main missions with this sort of movement I'm, I'm undertaking is to replace fear with facts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, facts matter, science matters, and it's essential that we follow the facts and that we pay attention to experts and that we don't feed into 
the pseudoscience and myths that are definitely floating around there. It's quite shocking and frankly scary. Um, so, so here's here's what I recommend to people is, you know, follow CDC, follow NIH, follow World Health Organization, um, and follow. follow yeah. Oh, hello. Yes, and hello. you know, yes, follow me. Um, but but yeah, I mean, just as to yeah. So what I what I'm trying to do is is provide information that is collected from you know what I'm seeing on the ground with patients, what I'm hearing around the country, and what I'm hearing locally from officials, um, and and deliver to you a synthesized, bite-sized action item list for your physical health and your mental health, and then community activism. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I would, I would love you guys to follow me because I think I have something to say, but there are a lot of experts out there. You can ask my kids. I don't know everything. They <laughs> will tell you that I was that mom, how well, you don't know, you don't know anything about that. What are you talking about? So I could put them on right now and they could very much convince you that I don't know everything, but I do have a lot of knowledge about the human condition and about human behavior and about medicine. I mean, I've spent my whole life studying and taking a lot of tests and seeing patients day in, day out. So yeah, it, it's, it's really, really important that you follow experts and that you don't fall prey to um, myths. Yeah. The problem with mythology is, you know, it leads people um, to false hope um and it leads people to um more fear absolutely absolutely lucy it's super helpful anything that i haven't asked you that you feel like is really important or maybe topics that are coming up regularly with your patients that we have not um, on? i would just say on the positive that this will be over at some point um we are going to get through this we are all in this together. It's remarkable to me to think about this, that this virus can affect all of us. Um, it can affect every person. So we're in this truly together. We're all vulnerable, we're all scared, we're all susceptible, but we are in this together. And I am confident that we can get through this together if we continue to practice calm vigilance, we replace, fear with facts and we you know know that this is going to be over it's going to be and it already is very very distressing but we also can get through it and i and i, I know we can lucy thank you so much i really appreciate you being here and being our honorary guest on the first she said she said zoom cast you know what <laughs> this is all a lot of this stuff being on social media is a first for me too. So I'm glad to be just jumping right in. Well, I'm really, really delighted to have you and I so appreciate you taking the time. And I, I appreciate just as we all do, the commitment that you're making to the community in terms of your service. So thank you for all that you're doing. And Laura, thank you for what you're doing. And I wish you and your family well. And I hope you can have a nice socially distanced evening <laughs> with your loved ones. Indeed, indeed. I want to remind uh, friends and listeners that Lucy's website is www.lucymcbride.com. Please make sure to check it out. 
sign up for her emails. They are really terrific. And if you forget the address, make sure you go to she said, she said podcast.com. We'll include some show notes and some other information about today's visit. And you can download our earlier conversation with Lucy from the podcast episode 25, if I'm not mistaken. Um, she was one of my very early guests. I so appreciate that. And she talks a lot about her personal story in that interview, which we didn't have a chance to get to tonight. So can I also make a plug? This is yeah. so new to me, this whole media exposure thing. So, and I'm also not a natural salesperson. Oh, I, I think you are. I, I don't think, <laughs> but I'm going to be on Stephanie Rule's show tomorrow morning at nine. Um, so that's going to be fun. Um, and so check it out. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. Lucy, thanks again. Have a great night. You too. Bye, Laura. Bye. Be well.